Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, we talk about Ukraine. The Russian invasion has dominated the news and motivated Christians to give. We offer some advice about how to give responsibly and helpfully. Also, Ministry Watch unveils a couple of new tools to help donors with their giving efforts. I'll have details. We begin today with a look at the multi-million dollar homes of televangelists. Yeah, file this story under the category, Donors, Where Is Your Money Going? When a televangelist ministry or a pastor's church owns a private jet, you can almost be certain that the leader lives in a mansion. That's one of the lessons that the Trinity Foundation learned from investigating religious fraud and excess for more than 30 years. In April of 2021, the Houston Chronicle's Jay Root reached out to the Trinity Foundation for assistance on an article series about church parsonages in the state of Texas. Trinity Foundation compiled a list of megachurches and large media ministries in the state and then searched for parsonages and homes of pastors and ministry leaders. Meanwhile, the Houston Chronicle examined the state tax code and filed open record requests with uh, county appraisal districts seeking lists of parsonages. Now, Root's thorough investigation uncovered startling evidence of pastors living extravagantly. A months-long Houston Chronicle investigation found that at least two dozen uh, homes owned by megachurch pastors or ministry leaders just in the state of Texas alone uh, were worth a million dollars, even using the artificially low values that exempt properties typically carry. And that's just in Texas. Yeah, that's right. And that's significant because Texas is not a particularly high-cost state. Home prices have appreciated significantly in recent years, as I think many of our listeners know. And Texas does have some pretty expensive cities and neighborhoods within those cities. But in general, Texas home prices are right at the national average. In fact, Zillow said that the median home price in Texas at the start of the pandemic was about $172,000. But Texas does have more than its fair share of televangelists. It does. For example, uh, Texas televangelist and pastor Joel Osteen lives in the most expensive home that this investigation identified. Joel Osteen is the pastor of Lakewood Church in Houston, and he owns a home in Houston that is appraised at almost $12 million. The real estate website Trulia Uh, estimates that the 15,700-square-foot mansion would be worth about $14 million, according to their calculations. I should add that in 2017, Joel Osteen also acquired another home in Newport Coast, California, which Trulia estimates is worth about $7.4 million. That home, located near the Pacific Ocean, is not registered in Osteen's name, but to a limited liability company that is actually registered in the state of Delaware. 
Well, I guess he's living his best life now. Are there any others worth noting? Well, there are. Texas uh, televangelist Kenneth Copeland's parsonage has probably received the most critical news coverage of all church parsonages in America. In 2020, his 18,000-square-foot tax-exempt mansion was appraised at around $11 million. Now, a year later, I should add that that appraisal was dropped to $7 million. I mean, that's still a lot. <laughs> now, we're, we don't have time to itemize all of the houses, but this article does, and listeners can find that on our website, ministrywatch.com. What are some of the key lessons here? Well, I think there are several. First, if you're donating money to these ministries, you deserve to know where the money is going. So whether you think it's good, bad, or indifferent that Joel Osteen lives in a $14 million mansion, I would argue that this is information that donors need to know so they can make their own stewardship decisions. Secondly, I think it is also fair to note that the Bible doesn't say money per se is evil. It does say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. When we ran this story on the Ministry Watch website earlier this week, I got an email from a pastor in Long Beach, California, who says that he bought his home in 1970 for $27,000. That would have made it a nice, but by no means an extravagant home way back then. But he's lived in that same home, ministered in the same community for more than 50 years now. And today, because of real estate appreciation in the state of California, his home is worth about $1.2 million. So I'm not saying that having wealth or even living in a million-dollar home is bad. But for ministry leaders, it should not be an indicator of success or effectiveness in ministry. Our next story involves Canacook Camps, a large Christian ministry near Branson, Missouri, that has been plagued by uncertainty since a counselor was convicted of sexually abusing campers a decade ago. Yeah, we've been reporting on Canacook for a couple of years now, but a new development happened this week. A number of Canacook survivors and their families published an open letter on a website called Facts About Canacook. The letter called for Canacook to admit past failures, to release victims from non-disclosure agreements, and to launch an independent investigation into what role the camp staff, senior leadership, and board of directors may have played in monitoring and reporting predatory behavior and child sexual abuse. Those sound like reasonable requests. Well, they do. And Canacook has since posted a new statement on its own website expressing remorse for past actions, but not agreeing to do the things that the survivor's open letter calls for. The survivors responded with yet another statement of its own, also published at Facts About Canacook. It says in part that Canacook's new statement did not respond to the survivor's pleas for accountability, nor provided us with any remedies that prioritize our healing, our stories, and our desire to make the world safer for children everywhere. The survivors continue to maintain that Peter Newman, the Canacook counselor that you mentioned earlier, Natasha, who was convicted of sex abuse crimes and is now in prison, was not just a single bad apple. The survivors claim that the leadership of Canacook um, allowed Newman to engage in abusive behavior for years and that they have still not been held responsible. This week also brought news regarding the Boy Scouts. 
Yeah, two faith groups that have long supported the Boy Scouts of America have committed to take key roles in the scouting organization's latest bankruptcy reorganization, the fallout from tens of thousands of claims of sexual abuse there. The United Methodist Church and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, sometimes known as the Mormons, appear as contributing chartering organizations listed in the massive reorganization plan released in mid-February that is expected to be considered by a U.S. bankruptcy judge on March 14th. Between them, the two denominations plan to contribute about $280 million towards a proposed settlement that could exceed $2.7 billion. Now, these sums have been previously announced, so what's new here? Well, you're right, but the victims' groups rejected the earlier plan. Now, when I say rejected, the plan uh, to compensate victims didn't receive the supermajority of votes that were needed. So that sent all parties back to the drawing board, and now there's been some restructuring of that plan. Uh, Though the amount of money hasn't gone up, the amount of oversight and child protection procedures have been enhanced, and a spokesman for the largest abuse survivor group now now says that his group is in favor of the new plan. So is this the end of the matter? Well, uh, probably not. Uh, The plan still has not been approved by the judge, of course. As I said, that'll come on March 14th. And a number of large groups, including the Roman Catholic Church, which also charters scout units, have not been included in the settlement. And there's also the matter of the ongoing viability of the Boy Scouts themselves. The group is deeply in debt and it has sold or mortgaged many of its most valuable properties to put money into the settlement fund. Its survival depends upon its ability to meet those debt payments in the future. And that means that it will have to maintain high levels of dues-paying members in the Scout program. However, the membership in Scouting has fallen significantly over the past few years, and it's a trend that shows no sign of letting up. It's hard to imagine that an organization that was once as large and influential as the Boy Scouts of America might completely disappear, but some observers are talking about that as a real possibility now. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, the story that everyone is talking about, the Russia invasion of Ukraine. Christian ministries are rushing to help. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Up next, Ukraine. 
Yeah, the military and political aspects of the Russian invasion of Ukraine have been all over the news for the last week. But what hasn't been as much in the news is the extent to which Christian groups have stepped up. Can you give me some examples? Well, yeah, in Shelm, Poland, which is about a dozen miles from the Ukrainian border, a Baptist church has opened its doors to refugees since the Russian invasion began, offering a hot meal, clothing, and a place to stay. According to data from the Baptist World Alliance, there are 96 Baptist churches in Poland with about 5,200 members. Now, that's as of 2017, which is the latest numbers that we have available. The Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board has committed to helping these churches host about a thousand refugees. And Samaritan's Purse is there as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, The Reverend Franklin Graham said that his Christian humanitarian relief organization was sending disaster response teams to Poland, Romania, and Moldova to assess how it can meet the needs of Ukrainians fleeing that country. Uh, Graham said that at least 24 Samaritan's personnel are on the ground in these countries right now, uh, bordering Ukraine. They've been there at least since the weekend. And they announced today, Thursday, which is the day you and I are recording this conversation, Natasha, that they plan to send a mobile hospital to the region as well. It's one of those hospitals that became famous when it was set up in Central Park during the COVID crisis. Now, all this sounds really fantastic, but you're saying it's important not to let our good intentions overwhelm good stewardship. Yeah, that's right. When crisis hits around the world, as it has in Ukraine, Christians are often the first in line to help. And that, as you said, is fantastic. It's a very good thing. However, there's a reason the Bible tells us to love God with our mind as well as with our hearts. At times like these, we should engage both. So I wrote an article this week that highlights some key principles that Christians should follow when giving to organizations that are operating in a crisis environment. What are they? Well, first, don't forget that all the old rules still apply. Just because there's a crisis, that doesn't mean a ministry that has been poorly run will suddenly become well-run. In fact, often a crisis exposes a weak organization and maybe causes uh, it to you break down. That's why even in the midst of crisis and urgent appeals, which I'm guessing are filling up a lot of our listeners' inboxes right now, I know they have mine, you should take an extra moment to do your homework. Ministry Watch gives ministries a donor confidence score, a financial efficiency rating, and a transparency grade. Now, you can search on a ministry and check their scores just by going to the ministrywatch.com website and hitting the bright red button at the the top of the page. That'll take you to our database. Uh, don't give money to poorly rated ministries or to ministries that don't share enough information to produce a rating. Anything else? Well, yeah, uh, look for ministries that have boots on the ground. You know, I mentioned that Samaritan's Purse actually had personnel in the area. When crisis erupts in a far corner of the world, it's really too late then to establish a presence there. Ministries that are the most effective are those that already have been operating there. They have, as I said, boots on the ground, personnel, partners, processes, and infrastructure. Give to these ministries. Well, are you willing to name some names? Do you know which ones we should give to and which ones to avoid? 
Well, we're reluctant to become anyone's conscience in this matter, but I can tell you that we've compiled a list of organizations that are doing work in and around Ukraine, and we've aggregated information uh, there on that list so that you can more easily decide how you should give. Again, just go to ministrywatch.com and look for the bright yellow and blue Ukrainian flag on the front page. Click on it, and you'll see information about Samaritan's Purse, Eastern European Mission, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, MAP International, Mission Eurasia, Mission to the World, and other organizations. We'll be adding to this list as we learn of other organizations working in Ukraine or in countries nearby that are supporting Ukrainians who are fleeing the conflict zone. Our next story involves religious liberty in a Christian school in Wisconsin. Yeah, the Wisconsin Court of Appeals has upheld a lower court ruling that a Madison, Wisconsin church has the legal right to expect its employees to share and live by its religious beliefs. The appeals court ruling in Sandoval versus Capital Land Christian Center Church affirmed an earlier decision that the church did not discriminate when it told a cook in the church's daycare center and school that her choice to live with her boyfriend violated the church's religious beliefs. The employee quit her job and then sued Capital Land Christian Center's church, school, and daycare for marital status discrimination, a protected class under Madison's non-discrimination law. Now, Warren, these religious liberty cases show up on the Ministry Watch site from time to time, and the outcome is almost always the same. The court sides with the Christian ministries. Now, given that, why do these cases keep showing up? Well, that's a good and interesting question. The first part of the answer is that these cases keep showing up because secular groups keep bringing them. They've been relentless, and they keep looking for a weak spot in the First Amendment to the Constitution. Honestly, most of the time, we don't even cover these religious liberty cases here at Ministry Watch. Lots of great news organizations, such as World Magazine and the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, Christianity Today, to name just a few, focus on religious liberty cases. However, when they involve Christian ministries, we do cover them. In the meantime, if you want to educate yourself about religious liberty issues, I recommend going to the websites of either World, the Colson Center, or Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a nonprofit law firm that has defended uh, many Christian organizations, including Capital Land, the Christian school we're talking about here. Warren, we're going to take another quick break, but when we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. 
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, saying he wants to spend more time focusing on racial reconciliation, Southern Baptist Convention President Ed Litton announced via video on Tuesday of this week that he would not seek a second term in office. Litton will become the first SBC president in more than 40 years to not seek re-election after his first one-year term. The last SBC president to do so was famed Memphis, Tennessee megachurch pastor and radio preacher Adrian Rogers. Now, I should add, Natasha, that this is not a huge surprise. Ed Litton was thought to be kind of a bridge figure. The Southern Baptist uh, Convention, especially at the executive committee level, has gone through a lot of turmoil, and Ed Litton was seen as a um, kind of a calming and conciliatory force there. I think he took that role uh, to kind of smooth the rough waters, and now that things are beginning to move on a little bit more of a regular order basis, uh, he is stepping down. So while this is an interesting development and um, an unusual development, as I said, it hasn't taken, taken place in the last 40 years, probably not a huge surprise. Our next story is about the growth of endowments. Yeah, investment returns for college and university endowments of all sizes soared in 2021, according to new data just released. For the 12 months ending June 30th of 2021, endowments generated an overall average rate of return of more than 30%. Now, that's light years ahead of just the 1.8% overall return that we saw in 2020. All endowment sizes saw returns of greater than 20%. The gap in returns between the largest endowments, those with more than a billion dollars in assets, and the smallest, those with $25 million and below, was more than 13 percentage points. Now, Warren, you're not a big fan of endowments, are you? (laughs) Well, no, I'm not. Uh, It's important to note that this study focused on college and university endowments and that most Christian ministries don't have endowments. But a lot of Christian colleges do or want to have endowments, and some large Christian ministries, such as the American Bible Society, for example, have huge endowments. I won't unpack all the reasons that I don't like endowments here, but I will say that I think there is little or no biblical basis for a Christian ministry to create an endowment, and lots of organizations who have had them, such as the American Bible Society and the Episcopal Church, not to mention four formerly conservative uh, secular organizations such as the Pew Charitable Trust have been vulnerable to mission drift over the years. So no, I am not a fan. Now, regular listeners to our podcast might have heard this week's extra episode. On that episode, you discussed the new donor confidence score. Can you remind people what that's about and also talk about yet another new resource that we have for our listeners? Yeah, and I'm going to take those questions a bit in reverse order because I think uh, the new product that we just unveiled within the last couple of days actually uh, helps explain the one that we talked about on the extra episode. Uh, Ministry Watch, working in collaboration with Calvin Edwards and Company and Strategic Resource Group, uh, have created a free guide for donors who want to do a deep analysis of Christian ministries before they give. The booklet is called um, 75 Red Flags to Consider 
before donating to a ministry. It's a free downloadable PDF that we now have on our website. You know, recent headlines have had far too many stories of scandal involving Christian ministries. Even some of the most respected ministries, pastors, and teachers in the nation have been caught up in them. But you've been saying that Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, Liberty University, Willow Creek Church, Mars Hill Church, Gospel for Asia, and many others started flying red flags long before the scandal became national news. But most donors didn't know what to look for. Well, that's right. And that's why I think this uh, new booklet is going to be valuable. It's an 18-page booklet, and it asks 75 questions that both donors and ministry leaders can ask to make sure that the organization they love operate with the highest levels of integrity. The questions range from such questions about whether they have a statement of faith and whether it's a biblical statement of faith, whether it has an independent board. Does the ministry do an annual audit that it makes available to the public? Does the ministry refrain from financial relationships with board members? Is the salary of executives set by the board based on the best available data regarding nonprofit compensation? No ministry is going to answer all 75 of these questions in the affirmative, but these questions can serve as a guide to identify areas in need of improvement for a ministry. Yeah, it's our hope that the checklist will serve not just donors, in fact, but ministry executives who want to lead their organizations to even higher levels of transparency, accountability, and credibility. I should note that Calvin Edwards of Calvin Edwards & Company was the lead author of this checklist. He received input from me here at Ministry Watch and from Strategic Resource Group, and SRG provided funding for the project. I'll have a link to the booklet, which you can read online or download and print in the show notes for today's program. And that takes us to the donor confidence scores. Yeah, that's right. When we were working on that book, uh, we started thinking, wouldn't it be great to evaluate every one of the ministries in the Ministry Watch 1000 database based on these 75 questions? Great, but that's a massive job. Yeah, and that's why we cut the number of questions down to about 20, and we used questions that had verifiable yes or no answers. It was still a big job, but we were able to come up with a score that we think is a huge aid to donors. We call it the Donor Confidence Score, and it's on a 0 to 100 scale, and we have about 800 of the ministries scored so far, and we'll get the rest of them done within the next month or so. What ministries did Christina Darnell spotlight in her Ministries Making a Difference column this week? Well, Christina featured uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, which has launched a new scholarship for African-American students, as well as Mission Eurasia and Samaritan's Purse, two ministries that we've already mentioned on today's program because of their work in Ukraine. Any final thoughts before we go? Well, just a quick reminder that Christina's Ministries Making a Difference column is made up of information that we mostly get from our readers and listeners. They send us news tips, press releases, emails, and links, and Christina chases down the details and compiles her column. That's how we get a lot of our other stories as well. So if you have a story that you'd like for us to cover or a ministry that you think needs a closer look, please email us. Our email address is info at ministrywatch.com. That email will come directly to my desk, and we'll take it from there. 
Also, a reminder that you can help the program by leaving us a rating on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for others to find us. It's a quick, easy, and I should add, free way that you can support Ministry Watch. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pritzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Yonat Shamran, Bob Smetana, Adele M. Banks, Barry Bowen, Pete Evans, Christina Darnell, and you, Warren. Special thanks to Trinity Foundation and the Nonprofit Times for contributing materials to this week's podcast. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.